Uh, we have been running through the book of First Peter, and if you're joining us for the first time or the first time in a long time, glad you're with us. want to welcome those of you online. Uh, my name is Brian Howard. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be here tonight. I'm grateful for the opportunity to open up the Word of God and see what God might have to say to us tonight. Uh, I want to begin tonight by thinking about um, the, the, there, there are certain questions in life. Um, that for me, and maybe you have these, um, are like an automatic yes to me. Like there's certain things in life I have to think about, and then there's certain sort of automatic yes type questions. So here's a few of my automatic yes. Anytime someone offers me a cup of coffee, the answer is always yes, right? I don't have to think about it. I don't have to be like, oh, what time is it? Caffeine. Like for some reason, I think I've just had so much coffee. My body is so desensitized. And if you, if you walked up after the service, like cup of coffee, definitely Yes. If anyone offers me another slice of bacon, the offer is always yes. The answer is always yes to that. If anyone ever offers me a cinnamon roll, the answer is always yes. And you might be noticing all of these are breakfast related, and that is true, um, because breakfast is almost always an automatic yes for me. Now, there's these automatic yes type questions in life, these automatic type yes, where we don't have to think about it, we don't have to process it, the answer should just be yes. And one of the things I've learned in life is this is an automatic yes question for me. Here's the question I want to ask tonight. It'll shape our whole sermon. Do you want the blessing of God on your life? Do you want God's blessing to rain down on your life? And that is one of those questions that for anyone in this room who calls themselves a follower of Jesus should be an automatic yes, an easy yes, a slam dunk. Yes, that's what I want. That's what I desire. I want God's blessing on my life. I want him to pour it out upon me. I want the blessing of God on my life. Now, here's what I've learned. There are certain Christians who have tied themselves into theological knots, trying to say something to the effect of, no, it's not God's blessing I want. It's God himself. And so they actually kind of look at this question and they're like, um, no, I just want God. I'm not really into his blessings, but I kind of want them, and I guess I'd receive them. if he, you know, like, They just kind of get themselves tied up. But here's what I want you to know. Answering yes, and emphatically yes, to this question, do you want the blessing of God on your life, is not only an okay thing, it is an emphatically good thing in Scripture. Let me show you this scripture, Psalm chapter 67. Years ago, uh, I had our whole staff here for the high school ministry here at the church memorize this. Psalm 67, 1 and 2 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your ways be made known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. So when I read this text, I don't read this text and go, well, if I ask for the blessing of God, it's a bad thing or I'm not supposed to want it. Here it is extraordinarily clear in the text. May God be gracious to us. Have him bless us. May his face shine on us, which is a way in the scriptures of talking about. May God pay attention to us in such a way that he is reigning and pouring down his mercy and faithfulness and goodness and blessing upon our life. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May his face shine upon us. But then we see here in the scriptures, like we see right here in this text why we want that. It's not may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that we can be happy, so that everything can be easy on us, so that we can be rich, so that life can be comfortable. It's so that, what? Your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Like in other words, the good, right desire for you to have the blessing of God rain down on your life is not so that it will become a reservoir in your life, but rather so that it become a river that flows through you to the nations. That is why God wants to bless you, and that is why it's not only okay, but eminently good to ask for the blessing of God on your life. See, in 2014, I told you we were memorizing this, a few staff members here on the church, uh, and my wife 
And I just got so into this prayer. Like, like we just got so into this text and really believing that this was something that would actually shape our family's future. This was almost 10 years ago now, just praying this prayer. I want to give you a prayer. We pray some version of this prayer almost every night with our, my wife and I, with my children and I. Here's the prayer. God bless our family so that we can be a blessing to others. We pray this prayer almost every night. I've got my five-year-old and my three-year-old. It's adorable. God, help us, be a, help us be a blessing, right? It's the best thing in the world. Why, why, why? I want my five-year-old to be blessed. Why? So she can be a blessing to her friends. So she can be a blessing to her school. So she can be a blessing to the world. We started praying this in 2014. Uh, 2014 was the year um, God blessed us with the ability to buy a house for the first time. Um, since 2014, God has blessed us with three beautiful children. Since 2014, God has blessed us with ministry opportunities, with an incredible marriage, with an incredible life. And listen, I'm not standing here saying we prayed this prayer and nothing bad's ever happened. We have gone through horrible moments. We have gone through deep loss. And yet this prayer has changed the way our family views God and his blessings on our life. And I dare you to pray this prayer. I dare you to pray it every night. God, bless me so I can be a blessing. God, tomorrow as I go to school, bless me so I can be a blessing. As I go to work, God, bless me so that I can be a blessing. God, I pray that you would increase my blessing, that you would pour that out upon me so that I can be a blessing to the world. So see, this is the type of prayer we want to pray where we deeply desire the blessing and the favor and the presence and the face of God in our life, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. My family has prayed this prayer for almost 10 years now, and God has showed up. He has answered that prayer, and I want to invite you into the same thing. But here's the catch, and here's the important thing I need to start with tonight so that no one here gets confused. I need to be clear. You cannot decide how or when God blesses you. We cannot decide how or when God blesses you, or a different way of saying it, you cannot control how or when God blesses you. Like, I don't want anyone to be confused tonight. God is not a gumball machine where you throw up a prayer and he throws down a blessing. God is not a vending machine where you're like, the blessing I would like today is a new car, A4, right? That's not how it works. I need you to know that God will not be bargained with. He will not be negotiated with. You cannot in any way barter with him. You will not control him. God is who he is, and he will not change. God will do what he will do. So God is not someone you can mess with. He's not someone you can control. Any conversation around the blessing of God that just says, if you do these four things, God has to bless you. His hands are tied. He's legally bound. Is a theology that doesn't belong in the church. So listen, you cannot control the blessing of God. And yet here's what I'm convinced of tonight, that the scripture, 1 Peter 3, is going to lead us toward. It is going to lead us to an understanding of how we receive it. So let me put it this way. So I want you to imagine I looked at the weather app. I don't really know why, but I looked at it today, and it's kind of hot this week. But do you know that later next week, maybe even near Thursday, maybe Wednesday, um, it's supposed to rain? So for the sake of this example, let's pretend next Thursday it rains, and it's pouring rain here during um, YA. And I want you to imagine that you and your friends get it into your mind that what you would like to do is do one of those trendy videos where you're running around and dancing in the rain. I, I don't know why that's a thing, but apparently it's a thing out there, okay? So I want you to imagine, you're like, I just want a video of me dancing in the rain. And I want you to imagine you're hanging out here in this room at YA, and you're frustrated, and you're upset, because you want a video of you dancing in the rain and you're standing here and you're completely dry. Not a single drop of rain is coming down on your head and you're going, Brian, it's not working. I can't stand in the rain. And I would say the issue for you is not that it is not raining down. The issue is that you have chosen the wrong position. You have chosen the wrong location. Like if you were to go stand outside, you would actually posture and position yourself to be able to receive the rain that's already coming down. 
This is how I think about the blessing of God. The issue for the blessing of God is not that God does not rain down his blessing. Jesus is abundantly clear. God sends rain on the just and the evil. He sends it down on everyone. What I think happens for so many of us is we have positioned and postured ourselves in such a way that we can't actually receive the blessing of God when it does come. See, I'll remind you, you cannot decide, you cannot control how God blesses us, but we can position ourselves to receive it when he does. And tonight, I want to talk to you about how to position yourself, to position your life, to posture your life in such a way that you are willing, even inviting the blessing of God on your life. You can't control him, you can't bargain with him, you can't negotiate him, but our God is a God who wants to bless. And I want to talk to you about how to position yourself in such a way that you can receive it. First Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be tonight if you have your Bible. Uh, and if you don't usually have a Bible open, can I just encourage you from time to time to be a person who has your Bible open on your phone or if you have a hard copy Bible? And here's the reason. You should never take my word on anything. You should take God's word on everything. And so what I want for you is for you to listen to what I say and go, does the scripture teach that that's how I'm supposed to live? And if the scripture disagrees with Brian Howard, go with the scripture every single time. That's why we say to open our Bibles, but it'll be on the screen for those of you who don't have it tonight. And here's what it says, 1 Peter 3, 8. It says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Now, Peter does this little preacher trick here uh, where he says in 1 Peter 3, 8, finally. Now, here's what you need to know. Um, we've been doing this study through the book of 1 Peter, and some of you might think, finally, oh, he's wrapping up the letter, he's done. We're nowhere close to the end of the letter. He's got chapter three and chapter four and chapter five. He just keeps rolling. This is like a great old time preacher trick. I just want you to know this. I'm going to out every preacher, including myself. Anytime a preacher thinks he is losing the attention or she is losing the attention of the room, they will say something like, and in conclusion, you wouldn't believe how many heads go, <laughs> right? But I need you to know something. When a preacher says, as we wrap up or in conclusion, you know what it means? Nothing at all. It means no things. <laughs> <laughs> Peter here is like, finally. Now, I don't actually think he's tricking us. I think this is finally wrapping up this whole discussion on submitting yourself and submitting your life to what God has for you. But I just thought you'd know that preacher trick, and we'll move on to the five commands here. All right, here's what it says. It says, finally, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Now, five commands. Five commands that Peter is going to give us here. But here's what I want you to know. This is one of these places as you study scripture, you need to recognize whenever there is a list of commands, you're supposed to do this and this and this and this. It is not the writers of the Bible just making up random five things. Like what are five nice things people could do? Well, like-minded, sympathetic, love one another. Peter's not doing this. Peter is actually doing something beautiful here. Peter is actually giving us an understanding of how we're supposed to live with a, with a tool, with an ancient literary device called a chiasm. And so let me kind of step into showing my work here a little bit, like peeling back the curtain of how we write sermons. I want to show you what a chiasm is. So here's what a chiasm. A chiasm is a literary device in which a sequence of ideas is presented and then repeated in reverse order. So literary device is found all throughout the scripture where you have a sequence of ideas that's repeated and then reversed. So let me actually show this to you in this verse. Let's put the next one on the screen. This is the verse we just read. Next, next slide, please. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. This is what a chiasm is. Now, um, if you were part of a fraternity at all in college, you know that the Greek letter chi is like the letter X, right? So that's what a chiasm is. It's this X, and you can kind of see half of an X. It sort of works there, right? And what you see is the first and the last, the first and the fifth command here are similar. 
being like-minded and humble, are, they overlap in ideas. Like if I'm like-minded with you, if I'm humble with you, if I don't need to have my own way, if I'm willing to kind of go along with you and I'm willing to humble myself, these are similar ideas. And then sympathetic and compassionate, you can see these are two ideas that are echoing one another. To be sympathetic towards someone and to be compassionate isn't two totally separate things. These are overlapping ideas. But here's the beauty of a chiasm. And here's what I want you to see when you see something in Scripture that kind of seems to be repeating itself in reverse order. A chiasm is always meant to highlight the command in the middle. It's always meant to highlight the command in the middle. So if you ever see five commands in Scripture, and you're like, the first and the fifth and the second and the fourth look similar, it is always meant to highlight the command in the center. So here is Peter's idea, and here is Peter's big command to us, to love one another. And I know this seems profoundly simple, but here it is in the Greek language. The word in the Greek language is philadelphios, which is obviously, if you know the city, Philadelphia it is the city of brotherly love. And the great reminder for us is that we are called as Christians to love one another, not as best friends, but as brothers and sisters, which is like a totally different thing, right? You have your best friends, you chose them, you love them, but if they ever really messed with you or went sideways, you would no longer be best friends with them. But brothers and sisters, you're stuck with them. You didn't choose them. You may not even like them that much, but that's how we're called to love one another. The way we're called to love one another in the church is sort of like we're stuck with each other for eternity, so we might as well figure out a way to love one another. This is what we see in the scripture, and here's what I want you to know tonight as we talk about the blessing of God. Loving other Christians in your church invites the blessing of God on your life. Loving other Christians right here in this church. I'm not talking about vaguely loving the idea of Christians. Like, look around this room right now. Loving these people invites the blessing of God on your life. And why is that the case? Well, it's really simple. Um, your father in heaven is like any dad who loves his kids, and more than just loving his kids, any father worth his salt loves seeing his kids love one another. So as a dad of three kids, I love getting to love my kids. But one of the best things in my life is getting to see them love one another. So it was the other day, uh, we were going to pick up our kids from school. I have a five-year-old who is in preschool, and we bring the other kids to pick her up from preschool. Uh, and then we got a little photo of how that kind of rolled the other day um, right here. So here's my five-year-old, Grace, and my one-year-old, Hope. And she gets out of preschool and sees her little sister and grabs her hand and starts walking out of school with her. And it was like the coolest moment of them being like these little buddies of my daughter Grace and my daughter Hope walking together. And as a dad, that moves my heart. And it moves my heart because my children are loving one another, because my children are caring for one another. You want to know what moves the heart of God? When his children care for one another, when his children love one another. So when we say, how do I invite the blessing of God in my life? Let's get really practical. Let me give you four practical ways we love one another. The first, and all of these things you can do tonight, the first one is this, meet someone new tonight after church. Some of you roll into this place every week, you worship with your people, and you leave with your people, you get dinner late at night with your people, and then you hang out with your people, and you never meet the other people. But you cannot love a person you do not know. And so here's the simple invitation. Tonight, before you roll out to dinner, meet someone else. And if you really want to go the extra step, invite them to dinner with you. Like, that's what we do here. We meet people. We get to know their names. We get to know their stories. Do you just know how many amazing, incredible people are here? And one of the best ways we love one another is just meeting each other. So I encourage you tonight. If you got to leave, leave. I totally understand some of you have places to go. But if you can stick around... 
Like you meet someone. That is one of the best ways. Number two, pray with or for someone tonight after church. Um, One of the things I hope we always have a culture here of is simply this, that when someone's like, man, just had a really tough week, that we wouldn't just be like, man, that stinks, I'm sorry. Like, Like that we would actually take it before the Lord in prayer. And one of the things I'm trying to discipline myself to do is not to be like, yeah, I'll pray for you. But rather be like, can we pray right now? Can we like do that right now in this space? And that's the kind of culture we want to have here. That's loving one another. That's being invested in each other's lives. Number three, serve in one of the ministries of our church. Can I just tell you this? Um, Some of you go to other churches, and and that's awesome, and I hope you're serving there. Um, If you're a part of Calvary, can I just tell you that there are ministries all over this church that are desperate for men and women who love Jesus and love other people and want to lean in? Um, And if you are looking for a way to serve, if you're like, hey, listen, I'm not serving right now, but I want to be in. I want to be an usher. I want to be a greeter. I want to help greet new people on the weekend. I want to work with kids or students or people with special abilities. Everyone here at this church is looking for more people to lean in. And I just believe God's blessing is upon your life when you lean in, when you serve, when you're part of what God is doing. When you say, I'm going to love these children, I believe God smiles on that. And then finally, that you would give to the ministry of our church. And listen, we talk about giving every week. And for some of you, um, you are faithfully giving to the ministry of this church or the church you go to. Um, But some of you hear that every week and it just kind of flies right over your head. But here's what I want you to know. As you love through giving and praying and serving and being invested and getting to know the people here, I believe the God of the universe smiles on that. And I believe that God is pleased when his children love one another and it invites the blessing of God. It moves his heart. It postures us to receive the blessing that God has for us. Love one another. Do that tonight before you leave church. Verse 9 says this. It says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. Remember earlier we talked about, is it okay to want a blessing? Is it okay to desire and, and want and be motivated by the blessing of God? Well, according to Peter, it is. Notice he doesn't say you're supposed to do all of this because it's the right thing, so just do it. He doesn't say that. He holds out the promise of an inheritance of a blessing. He says you do this so that you might inherit a blessing. And what are we called to do? We are called to respond to the evil of this world, not with more evil, to the insults people give you, not with more insults, but rather to respond with blessing. You know one of the great things I love about the Bible? Do you know that the Bible assumes people are going to say cruel things about you? The Bible assumes people are going to gossip about you? The Bible assumes people are going to misunderstand you. It assumes they're going to say things that aren't true about you. It assumes they're going to insult you in all kinds of ways. It assumes you're going to go through life and people are going to do all kinds of terrible things to you. And yet what it's going to say is your response to that is actually an opportunity to invite the blessing of God on your life. That repaying evil with blessing invites the blessing of God on your life. That every moment of your life where someone insults you, is mean to you, is cruel to you, is passive aggressive to you, every moment in your family, every moment at your work, every moment with your friends, every moment with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, every single moment that happens is an opportunity for you to invite the blessing of God in your life. What does that mean practically? Let me give you three. Um, Number one, you reply graciously to that email. Some of you uh, work in places um, and you correspond with people. uh, And people, I've learned, can be really, really vicious via email, right? Text message or email, like somehow over the the internet, they feel like they can just be mean and cruel to you. In, In my own work, all the time, I just get emails that are just mean and cruel and vicious and unkind. 
And maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're kind of conflict avoidant. But if you're anything like me, you're like, you punch me, I want to punch back. And yet here's what the scriptures promise. Man, if I can be the type of person who says, I'm going to respond to evil, I'm going to respond to insult with kindness and with grace and with blessing, that there's actually a blessing for me. Reply graciously to that email. Number two, speak kindly to your mother. Some of you have a mom who says cruel things to you. For some of you, it's not your mom, it's your sister. It's your dad. It's your uncle. It's your grandma. For some of you, you have a family member that you just can't stand, and every time you're around them, it makes your skin crawl. They say things, they've said things that are just so cruel, so mean, so vicious, and you want to strike back, and you want to tell them what they deserve, and you want to get back at them because they deserve it. And what the scripture says, if you can resist that impulse and instead choose to bless and encourage and pray for and build up that person, that there is a blessing waiting for you. You inherit a blessing And then the third and final one, I'm going to meddle in your life. Would you pray for your ex? (laughs) Yeah, we don't want to do that, right? (laughs) Because when you think about your ex, you just want to be mad at him, right? You want to be mad at her. You want to hope that they're walking down the street and trip over their shoelaces and fall into it. Like, no, not just me, right? Like, when you think about your ex, some of you, you just want them to suffer. But here's what the scriptures say. If you think about your ex, and instead of wishing ill upon them, choose to pray for them. I'm not saying choose to get back with them. I'm not saying choose to ignore all that they did. I know, I know some of you have been wounded deeply. But if you choose, instead of responding to their insults and their wickedness, to pray for them, to wish the best for them, if you choose instead to respond with blessing, the scriptures promise you that you do that, that you might inherit a blessing from the Lord. You choosing to respond with kindness, you choosing to respond in that way is a supernatural act that invites the blessing of God in your life. In verse 10, Peter goes on, he says, for, and then he's going to quote Psalm 23 here. He says, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So so right before this sermon, uh, we sang a song, and we'll kind of repeat a little bit of it later. Um, That song is called, If I Could Have Anything. And if you know how the song goes, it says, if I could have anything, let it be your eyes on me. And that is drawn directly from scriptures, just like verse, verse, verse 12 here. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. But like, where are the eyes of the Lord? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And when we talk about that, that means the blessing of God, his favor, his face that shines upon you are upon the righteous. And who are the righteous in this text? Well, it says four things. It's those who don't speak evil. Like you're not saying foul and disgusting things. You're not saying things that dishonor the Lord. The people who don't lie, like the people who don't break relationship by being deceitful, the people who seek peace in personal relationships, and the people who turn from evil in repentance. And this is the heart of the text here, verse 11. They must turn from evil and do good. And here's what I see here in this text. If you want the eyes of the Lord upon you, if you want God's face to shine upon you, if you want his blessing, I want you to know repentance invites the blessing of God in your life. Repentance invites the blessing of God in your life. Now, here's what I didn't say, and this is so important for you to hear tonight. I did not say that your perfection invites the blessing of God in your life. 
I said that repentance invites the blessing of God in your life. And that is the best news I could possibly tell you about tonight. Because if the actual teaching here is perfection invites the blessing of God in your life, we should end the sermon, wrap it up, and head home. Because none of us have got that. And I don't know if you're new to church or maybe think everyone here has their life together, but I want you to know this room is filled with people who have stumbled and fallen in many, many ways. It's not that perfection invites the blessing of God in your life. It's that repentance does. And here's why that's the best news ever. Because I know that this room is filled with people who love Jesus and follow after him, and yet there is some kind of sin that has ensnared you. Can we just speak honestly tonight? There are Christians in this room who are ensnared by alcohol. There are Christians in this room who are ensnared by pornography. There are Christians in this room who are in a relationship with someone where you have crossed lines over and over and over again. And the scripture does not say God's blessing is on those who never do evil. It actually says his blessing is upon those who turn from it, who repent, meaning you're going in one direction and you decide to go in the other direction instead. This is one of the most beautiful things about our God. One of the most beautiful things about our God is that his blessing is not upon the perfect, His blessing is upon the repentant. This is one of my favorite things Jesus ever said. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said these words. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Notice Jesus didn't say blessed are the righteous, for they will be filled. He said blessed are those who are hungry for it because they don't have it yet. And your invitation is to turn from your sin tonight that you might receive and experience the blessing of God in your life. Some of you have disqualified yourself, said, I could never receive God's blessing. He would never love me because of my sin. And what it says here is that the type of people who would turn from evil and do good, those are the types of people that the eyes of the Lord are on, that the blessing of God pours onto, that repentance invites the blessing of God in your life. And what are the seven words of repentance? I've said it over and over and over. Seven words of repentance. I am wrong and God is right. I am wrong and God is right. Repentance is the Greek word metanoia. It means a change of mind. It means you recognize, no, I'm wrong on this one and God's right. I've been doing it wrong. God is actually right on this one. And when you turn, when you change your mind, when you repent, the blessing of God flows. Can I speak to any Christian who is bound, who feels enchained, who feels like they're stuck in their sin and they can't get out of it? I want you to know that if tonight you turn and repent from that sin and seek the face of the Lord, you open yourself up and you invite and you posture yourself toward the blessing of God in your life. Verse 13 goes on this way. It says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. So so in verse 13, it says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But but then there's this understanding that sometimes you're going to do good and and people are going to try to harm you. But then it's if you suffer for what is right, what does it say? You're blessed. So once again, Peter is motivating us, not by just do the right thing and because it's the right thing. He's saying, do the right thing because there is a blessing promised from you. Do you want the blessing of God? That's Peter's question. And his question is, if you want the blessing of God, don't be afraid, don't be frightened, don't give in, don't do what's wrong. Here's what Peter's trying to say. He's saying that suffering for what is right invites the blessing of God on your life. It invites the blessing of God on your life. And one of the things I want us to be aware of is that for the most part in this room, the suffering for doing what is right will probably mean you speaking up or believing things that run afoul of our culture. 
Like, like suffering for doing what is right in our context looks different than other places in the world where suffering for doing what is right in the Lord means jail and imprisonment and beating and death. And in our nation, in our context, in our culture, suffering for what is right probably means you speaking up and saying things that are unpopular in America in the 21st century. But hear the words of Jesus himself. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So so one of the great, I think, evidences of faithful Christian discipleship in the 21st century West is that you are willing to say and believe things that run afoul of popular culture. And I would say this, if you have come to a place in your Christianity where you believe nothing that most people around you don't believe, if you just kind of agree with everything that's going on in our culture, everything that's said in our culture, if you just kind of go along to get along, I think you are far afield of the life that Jesus called you toward. In fact, here's the invitation for you, the, the, the warning for you, in fact, is this, to beware of the foolishness of trying to change Jesus to make him acceptable to everyone. That is foolishness. Jesus says, if you follow me, persecution's coming your way. Insults are coming your way. But don't run from that. There is blessing there. And so I'm not asking you to try to be a bully. I'm not asking you to try to be mean. Mean Christians aren't blessed Christians. They're just mean Christians, Okay. But Christians who say, this is what God says, and this is what I believe, and I will not change my mind just because culture around me is changing every five minutes, and you get insulted, and you get mocked, and you get belittled, and you get excluded. Jesus says there is blessing for you in this. There is blessing. It goes on in verse 15. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And one of the words I love on the screen here is that it says we are to revere Christ as Lord. Um, and, and that word revere um, is really that we're going to recognize, that we're going to honor, that in our hearts we're going to understand the seriousness and the weight, the fact that Christ, that Jesus, is Lord. Now, the word Lord is not just the word God. The word Lord is the Greek word kurios. It is actually the term for master or king. So when I say that Jesus is Lord, I'm not merely saying that he's God. I'm saying that he's in charge. I'm saying that he's actually the king over everything, that he has authority over my life and this entire world. And we are called to revere that. And what that means for us is not this. See, sometimes people say, oh man, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. But I want to say this again to you tonight. You do not make Jesus the Lord of anything. He already is the Lord of everything. He already is king. He already is ruling and reigning. Tonight, we don't make Jesus the Lord of anything. He is already ruling in heaven, right hand of the throne of God over everything, including your life. And what are you called to do? You're called not to make him Lord, but to revere him as so, to submit your life to him, to acknowledge his lordship, and to walk in reality that Jesus Christ is Lord of all things. Listen, revering Christ as Lord invites the blessing of God on your life. Because when you are aligned to the ultimate reality that Jesus Christ is Lord, God's blessing can flow into your life. And when you are not allowed to that reality, you're not postured to receive what God has for you. So what does it mean to revere Christ as Lord? But let me give you two contrasts between me being Lord, between I am Lord and Jesus being Lord. Here's what I am Lord looks like. Um, I am Lord looks something like this. It's once I agree with it, I will do it. So, so think about certain things in scripture. Like, do you know the scriptures call you to forgive people who have wounded you? And, and that's like a, one of the least popular scriptures, like in all of scripture, one of the least popular commands is to forgive. And so a lot of people say, well, I don't understand why I'm supposed to forgive. And because I don't understand it, I'm not going to do it. Or do you know that the scriptures actually call us to pray and not only to pray, but to fast? 
It's the beginning of every January. We call us to this fast. And you know what? So many people, they just go, I don't get fasting. I don't understand it. I'm not going to do it. So what they're really saying is because I don't understand it, I'm not going to do it. Or do you know the scriptures call us to be generous? But then what a lot of people do is they're like, well, I don't really see it. I don't really get it. I don't really want to do it. And because I don't really agree with it, I'm not going to do it. And if your heartbeat is, unless I agree with it, I'm not going to do it, then Jesus is not Lord of your life. You are Lord of your life. Because it's really not Jesus you're listening to. It's your own opinions you're listening to. Here's what Jesus being Lord of your life looks like. Because God says so, I will. Because God said so. So I don't understand why I'm supposed to forgive. I would rather hate the person who wounded me. But because Jesus said so, I will. I don't want to fast. That just sounds like I'm going to be hungry. I don't know why in the world I would do that. But if he said that's a good thing, I'm going to do it. If Jesus said giving is a good thing, I'm going to do it. If Jesus said loving my neighbor is a good thing, I'm going to do it. That's what it means for Jesus to have lordship in your life. It's where you say, I don't even know that I agree. I don't even know that I like that. And yet I'm going to do it. Not because of my will, but because of God's. It goes on this way in verse 15. It says, be prepared to give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. These words here, give and answer, is actually the Greek word apologia. It's where we get the idea of apologetics from. And so always be ready to give an apologetics, uh, an apologia to everyone who asks to give you the reason for the hope you have, which I love. Because it tells us that Christian faith is not built on just a wish or a dream or a blind kind of faith that just says, whatever, I just picked a religion. No, there is a reason for the hope we have. And you, as a believer, need to be equipped with those reasons. That doesn't mean you need to be able to win every argument. It just means if someone asks you, why are you a Christian? Your answer should go beyond, well, I grew up in a Christian household, right? Your reason needs to go beyond that. And it doesn't have to be like a big book you offer them. It should just be a solid reason for why you are a believer. And again, the assumption here in the text is that there are going to be people talking to you about your life and talking to you about your faith. And the assumption is you're going to talk back about your faith. That you're not going to live the kind of Christian life where you're like, I smile at people and buy donuts and try not to swear and they'll know I'm a Christian. Like, no, the assumption here is that you're going to talk to people about Jesus. And here's the blessing for your life that talking to people about Jesus invites the blessing of God on your life. Talking to people about Jesus. When I say talking about Jesus, I mean talking in such a way that you actually use the name of Jesus and you share that with people. I believe it invites the blessing of God on your life. Why does it do that? For the same reason I said earlier that the father loves, fathers love when, they, when we talk about their children. Fathers love when we talk about their children and the father loves when we talk about his son. So, so it's like this, from time to time, my wife and I will get a babysitter for the kids and we'll go out to dinner and then we'll come back. And we usually try to time it to come back where the kids are already in bed. And the kids are down in bed and the babysitter's hanging out and we come in and the first question we always ask is, how did it go? And we've never had it go terribly and it's usually gone very, very well. And so the babysitter will start sharing stories. She'll be like, oh yeah, Grace was playing this game and Noah was just a wild man. He was jumping off the couch. It was hilarious. And, and she'll tell stories to us. And never once in all of the times having a babysitter, when we ask how it goes and they start telling stories about our kids, do we throw up our hands and say, please stop. I've heard enough. Speak no more about my children. I don't want to hear another thing about them. Like we've never done that. Why? Because parents love hearing other people talk about their children. Fathers love hearing other people talk about their kids. And the same is true for your father in heaven. When you speak about Jesus and what he's done for you and what he's meant for you and how he rescued you and gives you hope and a future, when you speak like that to other people, the father in heaven, his heart is moved and his blessing is invited into your life. So the invitation is what? That we simply talk about Jesus. 
And how do we do so? Exactly like Peter said, that we give an answer to anyone who asks for the reason, the hope that you have. Then it goes on this way in verse 15. It says, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if, God's, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let me tie my shoe here. It has nothing to do with the sermon. This is not an illustration. It just came untied. All right, we proceed. <laughs> I want you to notice that the text here says, but do this with gentleness and respect. And right at the heart of Peter's invitation for us to talk to people about Jesus and to talk to them about Jesus in such a way that we're actually responding to their slander, it says. That we're actually responding to their evil against us. That we are called to do so with a gentleness and with a respect. And here's what I want us to know tonight. The gentleness and respect for those you disagree with invites the blessing of God on your life. That when there are people who are saying things that are untrue, that are unkind, that are wicked, that are ridiculous in this world, gentleness and respect is what invites the blessing of God in your life. And here's what I need you to know. This flies in the face of everything the talking heads on your TV and on your phone want to say. The talking heads on your TV and on your phone want you to believe that times are so critical. This is the end of our republic. This is the moment to take a stand. We must bully them. We must push back. We must fight fire with fire. We must fight like this is the end of the world. They want you not to treat people with gentleness and respect. They want you to treat them with cruelty and with disdain, with condescension. And here's what I want you to know. You can do that. And you will probably win some arguments. But here's what I want you to know. If you win, but lack gentleness and respect, you will eventually lose. If you win an argument, if you feel good about how you said it, if you destroyed them, if you wrecked them, if you feel so good about it, but you do not have gentleness and respect, you have forfeited the blessing of God in your life in that aspect. You forfeited it. And so here's the invitation for you. If you're the type of person who looks around the culture and is just horrified by what's happening and you want to speak up and you want to speak the truth and you want to take a stand for something, by all means, take a stand. But do so with gentleness and respect. Because if your stand for Jesus doesn't include gentleness and respect, you're not standing for Jesus, you're standing for you. Jesus is about gentleness and respect. Jesus was bold. He was courageous. He never backed down, but he was gentle with people. He was respectful with them, even when he was calling them to account for their sin. And far too many people who call themselves Christians are filled with viciousness and cruelty. They're rude and they're mean because they think they have to be to make their point. And if you do that, you may win in the short run, but you eventually lose because you forfeit the power of God. You forfeit the blessing of God on your life. Here's how our text ends tonight. Remember, I said that means nothing. It means something. I mean, we're getting to the end. All right, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And this isn't a big teaching point for me tonight other than to simply say that this sentence might change your entire life. Jesus Christ suffered for your sins. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian or you've been far from God for a long time, I want you to know that the great story of God is not what you do for God. It is what God did for you in Jesus. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to suffer for your sins that you might be right with God, that you might be brought to God. The great story of the gospel of Jesus is not that you make your way to God. It's that God made his way to you and says, I want to relationship with you. So if tonight you're here and you don't know Jesus, the great invitation from our God is that he is knocking at the door. And if you would open that door, he'll come right on in. 
That's the good news of Christ. That's the center of the gospel. The center of the gospel is that Christ suffers as the righteous one for the unrighteous ones like me, that he might bring us to God. It says he was put to death in the body and made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah when the ark was being built. It was only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a clear conscience before God. So there's all sorts of interesting theology in here of what happened between Jesus' death and resurrection. Did he descend into hell and preach to the spirits? And that is a great sermon for another time. And the bummer of this text is people can get so wrapped around it, they, they actually miss the next sentence, which is the point Peter's actually trying to make. And here's the point. It says, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. Peter here is talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He has ascended into heaven. He is ruling. He is reigning. All things are under his feet. And if you want to experience the blessing of God, you need to orient your life around that reality. Here's the final one, that setting your eyes on Jesus invites the blessing of God in your life. And I want you to know that for so many of you, the reason you miss the blessing of God in your life is because you have set your eyes on something else in this world that you think is more interesting or important. You have set your eyes on money. You have set your eyes on career. You've set your eyes on a boy or on a girl. You've set your eyes on the people you resent. You've set your eyes on politics. You've set your eyes on something else in this world. And when you do that, you will miss the blessing that God has in your life. Because here's what we see clearly in the scriptures, that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the Father. He is King of kings. He's Lord of lords. And everything's been put into submission by him. Well, like earlier, um, I was talking with some people, um, and, and some people told me that they were really concerned. They were really concerned about our church. They were really concerned about the nation. They were really concerned about what's going on in our world today. And, and then they uttered this phrase, and, and, and it was hard for me not to respond to this. They, they uttered the phrase, I'm concerned about what's going on in the nation because our, so the church, they said, the church is losing. And I said, I want to be clear. The church is never losing because the church is not sustained by our power. It is sustained by Jesus who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is not losing because Jesus is the one who upholds the church. Jesus is the one who reigns over this world. And even when it looks like we are losing ground, that is the resurrection pattern playing it out where Jesus says, I'll redeem it all. That is exactly what God is doing. So how do you invite the blessing of God in your life? You take your eyes off of all the nonsense in our culture and you set your eyes on Jesus because when you do that, you will experience and posture yourself for the blessing of God. So, so years ago, um, uh, a pastor friend of mine here at the church and I, uh, we went to a conference and went to the conference. We were staying in a hotel for the night. We get into the hotel room, which we thought would be two beds. And it turns out it was only one bed. And so this was a bit of an awkward moment for him and I. Um, and so uh, I said, hey, why don't you take the bed and I'll take the couch? I was younger than him. I felt like that was the right thing to do. Uh, and so he takes the bed and I take the couch. We start to get ready for bed. Uh, and I recognize that I have a pillow, but I don't actually have a blanket, which I thought would be no big deal because I'm always sweating. I'm always hot. 
And so I thought, this is fine, no big deal. But for some reason, my always sweating, always hot jeans did not turn on that night. And I was freezing. And I went throughout the night, and he's snoring, he's sleeping. I'm trying to like turn down the thing or turn up the temperature. Uh, I'm in my sweatshirt, like all bundled together. I had a miserable night of sleep. I didn't sleep at all. It was terrible, terrible night. So I get up in the morning, uh, and I'm kind of groggy and tired and grumpy and a little bit resentful. But like I made the choice, and he's talking to me. Uh, and he goes, are you okay? I was like, no, I did not sleep at all. He goes, oh, no, what happened? I was like, ah, I was so cold last night. I was trying to get warm in my sweatshirt, but didn't have a blanket. And it's, it's, it's all good. It's not a big deal. He goes, man, I, I wish you would ask me. I was like, well, no, I didn't want to take your blanket. Like, yeah, I wanted you to have that. He goes, it's not that it was my blanket. He opens up this little cabinet. And he goes, there are spare blankets right here, right? <laughs> and that was one of those moments. One of those moments where I'm staring at those spare blankets. And I think to myself, man, that's so frustrating. And why is that frustrating? Because it was there the whole time. I just didn't look for it. It was there the whole time and it was available. I just didn't look for it. And the tragedy is that there are millions of Christians who live in such a way where the blessing of God is available over your life and you just haven't looked for it. You haven't asked for it. God's like, I have blessing for you. If you would just look and receive and look for what I have, if you would just ask for what I have for you. Like my burden for you tonight is this, that some of you have lived your entire Christian life just kind of muddling through on your own strength rather than posturing and looking to God in such a way that invites his presence and his blessing and his favor and his face upon your life. So if you could have anything, like anything, would it be God's eyes on you? Would it be his blessing on you? Would it be his favor and his face and his mercy and his goodness the question I want to end is this. It's the one we started with. Do you want the blessing of God on your life? And hope, the answer to that question, is an automatic and an always yes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight. Um, and I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the way it just invites us into blessing. And God, I pray for a young man in this room who just feels like he's so far from you. Maybe he needs to repent and turn tonight. I ask that he would do so and that he would do so in such a way that receives the blessing you have for him. I ask for any young women in this room who just need to know your favor, your kindness, your face upon their life. May they cry out to you. May they set their eyes on Jesus. And may they receive the blessing that you offer us. And God, what we sing in the song, may it be true of all of us, that if I could have anything in this world, may it be your eyes on me, your face on me, your blessing on me, your favor on me, your goodness on me. So God, I pray on behalf of every person in this room and every person listening online, the prayer I pray over my family. I pray that you would bless us so that we as a church, so that we as individuals, so that we as families can be a blessing to the nation. God, help us receive that blessing. Help us be that blessing. We pray in the name of the one Jesus who blesses all of us. We pray it in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.